1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the gentlemen from Pod Save America.
2: What
3: up? Globalist. I love this. Wow. Globalist. Never gets old.
4: How we feeling, Seattle? All right. Um, I'm John Favreau.
3: I'm John
1: Lovett.
4: <laughs>
1: I'm a human boat shoe
5: <laughs> Dan Pfeiffer.
4: All right. Uh, thank you all for coming. Thank you for tweeting pistachio at me all week. Um, I appreciate that, guys. Um, we have Governor Jay Inslee in the house, who we'll be bringing out very soon. So we are very excited about that. Uh, but first, what a week! <laughs> All right, so let's start with—we're going to start and end with uh, Trump care. Boo. Boo! Are you guys on the fence? Uh, Wealth care. Um, Boo! <laughs> <laughs>
1: Stop trying to make welfare. <laughs>
4: okay, so here's the good news. Uh, the bill that passed the House will never become law because uh, yeah. it's good. Because yeah. uh, basically they passed it and all the Republican senators, or at least enough Republican senators, said, fuck that, no, this is crazy. Um, but the bad news is Republicans in the Senate are going to write their own bill. Um, and the bad news is they feel even more pressure to pass something. So I think where we start, because we've been talking a lot about how bad the House bill is, but the House bill is basically dead on arrival in the Senate. Um, what do we think the Senate bill could look like?
1: Thirteen white guys? Thirteen, who, uh... yes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> there are, Tommy's, refer- there are thirteen twelve, white... Twelve. Twelve. Senator Ted Cruz. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. He's given given Ted Cruz his due.
3: And then there's Ted.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Wildcard, Ted. Um, What do we think, Dan?
5: Why don't you talk about what I think the bill could look like? Yeah. Not good. (laughs) 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 Like it's very hard. They will. It's very. They like so people understand. They need 50. They can do this with 50 votes if it can pass. What is called 51 votes, right? 51 votes. 50 plus. Mike Pence. 50-plus Pence. 50-plus Pence, yes.
3: And then there's Pence.
5: <laughs> Another white guy. And <laughs> the, so it has to fit certain rules, right? So they right. can't... It can only be really about... It can't raise a deficit. It can't really be about policy. It's got to be about, quote-unquote, budget. Right. And so they are very limited in what they can do, right? But they will start from scratch. There was a bill that was done by um, Cassidy Collins, I think it was called. Yeah. From the, Cassidy, the center from Louisiana... And Susan Collins, Senator for Maine, who wrote a bill which was also terrible, but less terrible than other Republican alternatives. And Mitch McConnell responded to that, very reasonable, responsible effort on their part, by inviting neither of them to be on the committee. <laughs> so that's Susan not a Collins good sign. having a one she didn't pass the test of being a man, so she couldn't get there. <laughs> yes. And so it's, it's going to be very interesting, because there's not a lot to the right. Of Obamacare that you can do and still maintain sort of the most popular parts of Obamacare, like protections for pre-existing conditions. So it's going to be very interesting. That they can do the one depressing part of this is you should you should never underestimate Mitch McConnell. The people in the House are a collection of clowns, but Mitch McConnell is he's a smart it, clown. He's an evil. No, he's not. A, he's, a, he's an evil genius. Very a <laughs> lot on the evil, but he's yeah. smart, and so that's worrisome.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think the truth is there's a great deal of uncertainty. Uh, we don't know what they'll consider reconciliation-proof, right? Like, So reconciliation is a budget process. It's about adjusting taxes and spending, and that's their limitation. But there's a lot you can do on the regulatory front there because you can leave a regulatory regulation in place but make the penalty zero dollars, and all of a sudden the regulation has gone away. Uh, it's also not clear what they'll force through, that process, you know, you already seen people at the Heritage Foundation, and others writing that the healthcare process shouldn't be uh, uh, beholden to the whims of the parliamentarian, which is a you know pretty glib way to refer to the rules of the Senate. Uh, also, we are we we uh, now live in a world where there's no judicial filibuster, there's no rule that says these people can't get rid of the main filibuster. They said they don't want to do that. There aren't right now yeah. uh, fifty one votes in the Senate to get rid of the main filibuster, but Things change very quickly, and obviously, precedents are made to be broken. Uh, ask uh, Judge of the Supreme Court, Merrick Garland. So,
6: woah, <laughs> woah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I mean, it's it, dark. <laughs> it, it seems as if the so the House bill cuts eight hundred eighty billion dollars from Medicaid. It has the whole pre existing condition essential benefit loophole, where states can eliminate those things. Um, it seems as if Republicans in the Senate have already said they don't want those things. There is a group of Republicans in the Senate specifically who've said they don't want huge Medicaid cuts,
1: right? <clears throat> right. Specifically Dean Heller and uh, Jeff Flake. Dean Heller sounds like the bad guy in a 70s fraternity movie. Yeah. But they're they're in from states <laughs> where they expanded Medicaid and they are up for re-election in 2018. So that could be some sort of moderating influence on right their ability to gash that program. Yeah.
4: I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is I, th- I think that the bill that comes out of the Senate um, takes away the worst of what you saw in the House. But at some point, they still have to, like... It's basically going to be Obamacare, but with they're going to cut Medicaid in, in, by some amount. They're going to um, turn the subsidies into tax credits and make them less generous. And I don't know. It just It's, it's going to still be a pretty shitty bill. But the question is... To pass the Senate, you need um, like Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and, and Mike Lee and all these people on the right who are basically like the House Freedom Caucus to agree with it, and you're going to need people like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski who have already said they won't sign on to a bill that defunds Planned Parenthood to sign on to it to get the 51 votes. So and, that's the challenge in the Senate. And
3: looming over this whole process in the Senate is what we just watched take place in the House. The Paul Ryan releases this first version of the Republican health care bill and... It's a terrible bill. It, the subsidies are less generous. It's basically just a giant tax cut and benefit cut described as a health care bill. Uh, but it took the shape of Obamacare, right? It, had, it undid a lot of protections, but it had that part in place. It, it reduced all the subsidies, had that part in place, cut all the taxes. I mean, so and also made cuts to Medicaid, but it retained the shape of Obamacare. And what did we learn? It wasn't conservative enough. This terrible, terrible kind of Wario version of Obamacare <laughs> couldn't pass. So what they have to do? They had to go into it and add a bunch of waivers for states so that Freedom Caucus members could say, uh, my state will be far crueler than you would think. <laughs> and then they got a bunch of cowardly, craven moder- moderates. Whatever. I know, I'm
4: so sick of, I'm sick of You know, Daryl Ice it. is not
3: a moderate Alright, for those listening at home The lights dimmed and went back up And the audience panicked <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we can From this moment on, we're going to move through Everything like that You guys can just roll with it And we'll roll with it Trump is president <laughs> Things are going to happen I don't even know what we're talking about Once again, on the fence <laughs> On the fence <laughs> But anyway, we learned what could get through the House. Now, things change, right? There's going to be a Senate bill. It will not be as conservative as what passed through the House. We don't know what will happen in conference, if there is a conference. We also, we also saw how quickly people like Daryl Issa and other Republicans from swing districts folded under the pressure of Donald Trump and Paul Ryan. And the pressure would only mount if we're not talking about just passing a House bill, but passing something that Donald Trump would sign into law. So there's just a ton of uncertainty about what comes next.
4: Yeah. Um I yeah, mean I'll I'll, that is that's on the clock for? Maybe. <laughs> uncertainty. Um So no. So uh Well, let's get to the politics of all this. Okay, Uh, thank God. (laughs) Thank God, right? The fucking (laughs) Senate Senate parliamentarians up
3: here. (laughs) Let's solicit out for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Who wins and who loses, John? (laughs) We've trained them well.
4: Um, So the only thing that most of these House Republicans knew about the bill they were voting for was that most Americans hated it. So the question is, why did they do this? Why did they vote for this bill? I'm guessing some just wanted to be cruel <laughs> and like, believed in it. But a lot of them hadn't read the bill. They don't know what's in it. What were the forces that were pushing them to do this? Well, look,
5: John, a lot of people, they dedicate their life to public service. They run for Congress. Once in a lifetime, you have the opportunity to take health care from cancer victims. Like, <laughs> when is that going to come along again?
1: <laughs> I mean, we, we know from some of the stories that were written that uh, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, didn't actually know what was in the bill, didn't actually what? care what was in the bill, was calling members of Congress, swearing at them for whatever. He just wanted to win. So we yeah. you know why he pushed this thing forward. I don't think that most members of the House give a shit about his political fortune at the end of the day. They're right. all self-interested. So to answer, to your, to answer your question, I, I guess maybe because they all promised at some point along the way that they would repeal Obamacare... So, they felt yeah. like they had to go through with something. But, I mean, there are a staggering number of members of Congress. 24 House Republicans who voted for this bill came from districts where Trump got less than 50%, and 14 of those districts, Hillary Clinton won. I mean, all of us should not be prognosticating because we suck at it, as we learned before the election. But I've never
3: apologized, and I will not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but,
1: you
3: know, that's not a place I would want to be politically. Yeah, well, so that's, that's interesting, though. I, I think. These people are these people are, are are political animals, and they made a calculus. And I think part of it has to be that they're looking at a situation where we're coming after them for the fact that this thing passed, whether they voted for it or not. Right? Like, look, we saw the list of people. Uh, I think it's you're right that it's about fourteen. Uh, 14 voted yes. I think it's nine that voted no in the districts that Hillary Clinton won. Right. And uh, it's not like we're going to say like, you know what, you guys that voted no, we're not coming for you. We're right. coming for them. <laughs> During the Obamacare vote, a lot of <laughs> we're coming for every fucking one of them. So, but, so
4: but, the, ads, but the ads are going to look a lot better yeah, if you voted for it.
3: It's yeah. but but I think this is a sort of situation where they're looking at we are going to be punished by an active and energetic left and this is a moment where they could maybe do something for their base who they do know wants well, some action. Well, that's
4: my question. I'm, I'm, they have, I'm no, no, coming it's up with a theory. Because they, have been, they were clearly convinced by Paul Ryan and the White House, these House members, that um, if we fail twice to pass this thing, the base will revolt or, or the base will be depressed and they won't come out to vote. But I, I sort of heard that and I was like, I don't think these people fucking know who their base is anymore. Well, because, if they knew
3: who their base is, they would have been able to stop Donald Trump from being right, president of right, the United right, fucking States. Right,
4: right, right, <laughs> And it's like, I don't think that the base is out there being like, get rid of my health care. I don't want it. Like, I...
5: Look, I mean, what these people, even in the swing districts, are as scared or more scared of getting primaried from the right.
4: Primary, yeah. yeah.
5: So this vote would look very different if it was later next year after the filing deadline in all these states. They're worried that... Breitbart is going to come after them, that there will be someone in a a low turnout primary, even in a swing district that Hillary won, that is a very far right base. Right. The other thing is we should not assume these people gave this a lot of thought. (laughs) (laughs) None of them read the bill. Yeah. Like Chris Collins. That was great. Who, congressman from New York, who was Trump's first congressional endorser, which is all you need to know. Yeah. And he was informed by a reporter that the bill he just voted for cut in health care for people in his district. And so they didn't know what's in the bill. They he, get was surprised.
4: D- he was he, he surprised. Was literally. Was like, My
5: district? You? He asked the reporter to explain it to him, which is never how you should handle that situation.
3: Because, by the way, I don't Wait. trust a reporter to explain anything to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was he the one who said he was asked... Uh, How he's going to vote on the bill, and he said, I don't know, I haven't read it, I was at baseball practice, because he was preparing for the congressional softball game. I think that was someone else. That actually happened. There's a person that stupid who was paid to vote for you.
5: Also, they get all of their news, and all of their staff get all of their news from Fox and Breitbart. They live in a world where this bill is popular, Trump is popular... It protects pre-existing conditions, and they don't know any better because they didn't read the bill. So it's like we can't even walk a mile in their shoes, nor would we want to.
3: And I mean, yeah, Sorry, so. no, and even – just look, even if these guys are savvy enough, whether or not they're taking what Fox News and the right media says about this bill at face value, they know that that's what their people are seeing. that they know that's where the conversation that they have to be a part of is being had. Uh, and that creates an incredibly dangerous dynamic for these people. End of thought. Well, and
4: (laughs) the other thing that they were told is a lot of these members talked to their senators from their state. And they were told that this would be fixed in the Senate. So a lot of them voted for it and said, I hate this bill, but, you know, like a couple of the uh, swing districts from Florida, they said they talked to Marco Rubio. How did they find him? (laughs) (laughs) Marco 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 Rubio 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 said it would all be okay. So
3: they they knocked three times on the door of the fucking shelter uh, and then Marco Rubio from inside it swings the thing and swings the thing and the door slowly opens and Marco Rubio with a beard is eating out of a cold can of beans and he's like, what year is it out there? Is Trump still president? He is. I'll fix the bill. Shuts the door. Closes it. That Marco Rubio. <laughs> Just teed up that Marco Rubio thing. Marco I Rubio in a shelter. Good. I think you guys are going to hear that again. That's a new one. That's fun.
5: Also, do you know who does not care that the, if the Senate fixes the bill? Who? The people making the ads that will be run against them.
4: Right. Yeah, that was
3: not a that
4: was it's not also, smart
3: play. You're not, <laughs> you know, you don't get to say, hi, I did a very bad thing at work today, but I'm very confident that my colleagues will fix it. Can I, can I keep my job, please? Well... <laughs> And the other thing they said was, well, none of the
4: states out there, none of the governors are actually going to apply for this waiver on pre-existing conditions or essential benefits. And then, of course, today, our good friend Scott Walker from yeah. Wisconsin was like, oh, yeah, I'll take that. That's Hold great. Yeah, absolutely. Are people going to be you hurt? Heard I'm in. I'm in. That's Scott
1: Walker, man. Scott Remember Walker. that guy? <laughs> yeah. He lost first to Donald Trump. He lost. First. He's that <laughs>
3: stupid. <laughs> he went down. The first, first loser to Donald Trump. It, or That's you can stop Donald Trump. I've lost halfway through the
5: first <laughs> You could he say like he's the first loser to Donald Trump, or the only guy Jeb Bush beat.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, please clap. Please clap. That's for Tim Miller. Tim Miller. Sorry, Tim. Um, so, so, anyway, they, and, and the, so the big, thing, the big reason they need all to, they needed to pass this is. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh good. Oh, Beer. Thank you.
3: Which one? Oh this is this is mine? Nope, right oh I have a different beer. <laughs> I made a special request. I said, can you bring me a Seattle local beer that's as close to Miller Lite as possible? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for the podcast listeners at home, Thank you. uh a round of beers came on the stage. What? Don't shout don't shout specific things.
2: <laughs> Elysian?
4: Some delicious Elysian beer. Love you best. So, this is a great segue, because I was just about to talk about how inappropriate it was that they celebrated at the White House with beer. Right. Um, but here we are. <laughs> um, so, the reason they were forced into this is they knew that Donald Trump needed a win. Donald Trump needed a win, and Paul Ryan needed a win. Because Paul Ryan seemed like he was about to lose his job, perhaps. And our good friend Ryan's Priebus was oh. about to lose his job. Oh. By the so way. sad. Oh.
3: By the way, I... I have a feeling Paul Ryan's going to lose his fucking job. (laughs) I'm going to take that gavel from his craven little fingers. If we can't get Paul Ryan out of that speakership in 2018, I don't know what's wrong. We we have to. I don't even want to finish that sentence. (laughs) We have to... We're going (laughs) to... What a wonk. (laughs) What a wonk. What a wonk to get that gavel out of his fucking hand. It's Nancy Pelosi's gavel. <laughs> or someone when, since else's. When did, since when
4: did you become cheap applause line guy? It's Nancy Pelosi's gavel. <laughs> uh, Shiver if you had the chance. First of all,
3: <laughs> how dare you? I have been a fan of Nancy Pelosi since she passed a climate bill we couldn't get through the Senate. So don't come at me, John. <laughs> Not in a crowd. You can do this when we're in the studio. (laughs) You can bully me all you want. But I'm here with the people.
4: Literally, I'm moving the chair (laughs) off stage. I'm moving the chair off stage. Um, (laughs) You're a (laughs) fucking monster. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what were we talking about? Politics? I don't know. Um, Healthcare. Healthcare. So they go to the White House. So they're
1: pounding beers at the White House. They
4: pound beers at the White House. They have this big fucking celebration. I mean, we've been in the White House a long time. Did we ever have a big celebration at the White House when a piece of legislation passed one House of no, Congress? No, this
1: is the most ridiculous thing. It, like, it, it is so pathological and embarrassing that the press corps is like, oh, we're going to cover this thing. Well, I
4: was going to say, we all think this is crazy. And yet, it what worked. Was, <laughs> let's talk about the media reaction. <laughs> of what happened? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. we're gonna do it. I don't want to. A big win for Donald Trump, plastered across CNN. So
3: let's look. It is a win for Donald. It Trump It is a win, but it isn't a rose garden stand behind him taking pictures. Win? No. It's, it's a. Yeah. It's a. I don't know a sports metaphor. It a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's first it's, down. No, wait, in baseball turn Let's do it.
1: This is the this is the champagne celebration after like the ALCS victory. It's this ridiculous. is a
5: mission accomplished banner on an aircraft carrier celebration.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I
4: right.
5: went no sports for you. We, that's
4: what we that's hope. That's good. That's good. When they pass the whole thing and he signs the bill that's not going to seem as good, but for now that's, yes, <laughs> yes, that's what's going to be. Um, so there was yeah, so the media coverage was just like uh, I, I haven't watched cable in a while and then I watched it to watch the vote. And then suddenly it was like big win for Donald Trump, and then they, and then everyone started yelling about the like three Democrats on the House floor who were singing na 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 hey hey goodbye,
3: which was stupid. But and like, by the way, you know what? Who cares? They just passed a bill to take healthcare from twenty four million people, and all of a sudden everybody on CNN is in fucking Downton Abbey. Like, give me a goddamn break! Oh, the decorum! How inappropriate! Why that? That'll offend the Dowager Countess. Fuck you! <laughs> They're human beings and they are Democrats who are deeply upset about the fact that these people just voted for this awful fucking bill. And if they're gonna take a moment to to look at their gloating Republican colleagues and say, You think you're winning now, we're gonna show you, and they got a little overzealous, and we're a little tacky. Uh, straight shooter. It's a tacky thing. Fine. But to act like that belongs to part of this conversation, which is about the entire healthcare system, which is one sixth of the economy. Give me a fucking break.
1: Um, I- Waiting for your applause. So, I, I don't care about the tacky part. Like it, they could have, you know, given them noogies and like wedgied them off the floor. Fine, I don't care. They're terrible people. But you know, the part that annoys me is like all the all the immediate punditry from the Democrats who are like, "You're all going to lose your seats." This was you can just staring death in the eye, guys. That's that's not how you win voters. Talk about what they just did to the people they represent. Talk about the implications of the bill right. in terms of the health care. Because like for me, for me personally, I was sitting there watching. These jackasses, you know, chant and, and, like, go to the White House. And I got a, a text from my stepmom, who's had cancer twice, and said, what does this mean for me? And Is my coverage going to go up? Like, you know, like, literally terrified because of the uncertainty that this vote created. And I explained to her the stupid committee process and, like, it's got to go to the Senate and back. But those are the stories and focusing on those people and those impacts are what's going to actually create the political consequences we want to have happen from this horrible vote. So that's what annoyed and offended me about that stupidity.
5: Yeah. Oh, love it. Someone's coming for your title.
3: I think I
4: got my applause. Some, like, fine. I think Tommy was a straight shooter. He talked about the real stakes and, yeah. you know, love it. Love it. Likes the tactics and like the silly stuff.
3: You know what? I'm just going to let that pitch
4: go right by. <laughs>
1: this is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash PSA.
0: Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. you'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.
4: All right, people. We all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference...
1: This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has
4: not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Couple stories today. Um, that did the Democrats fail? Did the resistance fail? Should did we celebrate too early after the first time we stopped Trump care and think it wasn't going to happen? And then not see this coming. And like everyone was mobilized a little bit too late. I mean, and I'm f- trying to figure out what, instead of just saying yes or no to that, like what could have, like reverse engineer this whole thing, what could have been done um, and when? Uh,
5: Turnout in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan? <laughs> 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 One idea. There's, there you go. Yeah, the
1: truth hurts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the house is designed for this outcome. The House is designed for them to be able to quickly engineer the worst possible vote and jam it through with the fewest votes possible. Right, you don't have, like, the Senate procedural tricks to slow everything down in the
4: House. Although I was saying, what did I say on Monday's pod? They, they were voting to avoid a government shutdown. Democrats had all the leverage because they could not pass the bill without Democratic votes. I'm, I'm not sure why they went ahead and voted without saying, we will not vote on this shutdown bill unless you at least wait for a fucking CBO score for this bill, or else we're not going to do that. But
3: yes, you know, look.
4: So I I still haven't, I haven't got any answers on this. No answers. I've been asking everyone.
3: I think you're right. I think that certainly would have been one way to go. The other thing is, I I think we were caught flat-footed. We thought it was dead, and it was dead. And I think we were not prepared for just how quickly they'd be willing to do this, and that they'd be willing to do it without waiting for a CBO score. I mean, look, they did... They released this thing. You know, first of all, also, we're also victims of Donald Trump in that Donald Trump said, it's not dead. I haven't given up. And we just assumed he was lying yet again. And maybe in that moment he was. But we didn't take him at his word in part because he lies so often. And it did. See- and then all of a sudden this thing comes back to life and there's no hearings. There's no CBO score. There's one hour of debate. That right. is unprecedented. You know, seven years ago, Paul Ryan demanded that Nancy Pelosi wait for a CBO score. And we did. Yeah. Uh, Paul Ryan himself has said you should wait for CBO score. There need to be three days of debate. Justin Amash, supposedly principled member of the House, is a person who said he'll read the bill and make sure it uh, uh, goes through the proper debate channel. Then all of a sudden, of course, a tough vote. I don't know what to do. So I think we were caught off guard by just how willing they'd be to race this thing through before a score.
5: I think the question is, what do we do now? Yes. Right. Right. And so there are a couple things. One. There's a handful of senators. You mentioned two, right? Heller and Flake, who were up in 2018.
4: Dean Heller, Nevada. Jeff Flake, Arizona. They're up in 2018. Uh, we're all on the West Coast. Everyone go camp out in Arizona and Nevada. And whoever their challengers are, let's right. get behind yeah. them. So Cheap that- real
1: estate, buy a second house. <laughs>
5: that's-
1: Six months, one day.
5: So that's one. 2 yours. Two, they're, they're home for a recess right now.
1: This
4: is very big.
5: And they need to feel, like someone tweeted... The House Republicans just killed John Wick's dog, yeah. so that's I what this has hate, to feel I like. I fucking
4: hate that movie because yeah. of that scene. I can't do it. Well, like, okay. it's the okay. entire of of all, premise of
5: the movie.
3: Spoilers. Um, <laughs> the f- I have not seen it yet because everyone says, "Oh, you go to see John Wick. It looks better. It's better than it looks." I don't know. It's not a spoiler. It's the first. It's the just first don't. scene. It's
5: fine. And but also we have two elections coming up in Georgia and in Montana. Yes. And. If people want to send a signal about how this has energized the Democratic base, it is to win those elections.
1: That's exactly right. Because Dave Brat beat Eric Cantor, and everyone decided, in the right-wing media decided it was about immigration, when the people who worked on that race will tell you it had nothing to do with immigration. Right. It was all local issues. They all thought Cantor was kind of a smug idiot who did the bailout, and he was never around. But. You know, they scared the hell out of the rest of Congress. So that's what Eric we have you do. Eric
3: Cantor
7: smug? <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know. Um, and so one other, <laughs> one other big thing to do,
4: Dan mentioned all these uh, members are now going to be home for recess. Like, look, I think, I mean, we put this Women's March together, the Climate March, the Science March. Like, the, the level of energy that we need and resistance in the next week to show these House members how upset we are for what they did. Like, this has to be the big moment of the resistance, I think, so far. And I know it's been, like, a lot of months, but, like, we can't get tired. Um, And I also think, Tommy mentioned this, but... 14 of the 23 Republicans that voted yes are in Clinton districts, districts that Hillary won, but there's a Republican sitting in them. 25 of the 35 Republicans that voted yes are in competitive races. Um, What we've been helping with with an organization called Swing Left over the last couple days is to, um, they are raising money that goes into a pot for the eventual Democratic challenger. So there's obviously a lot going to be a lot of Democratic primaries going on, but for the eventual winner, when they finish that primary, Thanks to Swing Left and all of us, they're going to have a big pot of money with which to go uh, compete against that Republican. And so um, as of like right before we started this, Swing Left has already raised $1 million in the last like 24, 48 hours. Um, so we would encourage all of you guys and everyone listening to go to uh, swingleft.org crooked. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just like we're Use reading an ad, guys.
1: the crooked code.
4: A better way to donate. Um, <laughs>
1: it's like a vanity license plate,
4: <laughs> and uh, and help out. And I think that's we got to get more money to these Blue Apron people. <laughs> we are plugging them left and right. Look, you just did it now. Now it's da! a whole thing. Yeah. Take it back. Okay. <laughs> um, we are very excited now to bring out your governor. Um, who's going to talk to us a little bit. Jay Inslee. Governor, how are you?
6: Well, I'm happy. I've got uh, four good guys. By the way, would you guys clap if you think I should uh, uh, declare them uh, honorary Washingtonians? Ah. (laughs) We traded up on our Washingtons. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to know why they're so good, they're drinking Elysian beer from the state of Washington. That's why they're so good. That's why they are doing well. I like
4: it. Perfect. perfect. Um, Governor, thank you for joining us. so I just want to start by talking about healthcare. You were in Congress when um, the Affordable Care Act was passed during that debate. Uh, how does that process and everything that went on there compare with what you just saw? Because I know, you know we've been talking about how crazy it is and everything, but you were there, you were on the floor, you saw the whole thing happen. How um, outside the mainstream is what you just saw happen in the, uh, in the House?
6: Uh. I want to be subtle when I suggest this, but I think it's the difference between brain surgery and a spasmodic uh, automobile accident by people who have been drinking heavily. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, and this... Uh, I was listening to your repartee before I came out here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for calling it, repartee. Thank you.
6: <laughs> <laughs> this is really painful. I mean, you know, we're yucking it up. we got beer here tonight. But this is really painful. I mean, a woman called my office today and and just was crying uncontrollably because she had cancer, and she legitimately wondered what was going to happen to her. And those are legitimate fears. They are real. And the moral outrage that I feel, and I think most Americans feel, of the clear trade that the Republicans wanted to make and it was a clear trade let's be clear this does, this is not about health care the republicans are not interested in extending insurance why were they so angry about obamacare because it gave people health insurance they hated it this is not an effort to increase health care it is an effort to finance tax cuts for the rich that's what it is and we got to be clear about this so once Once you understand that fundamental fact about their efforts, you A, feel a sense of moral outrage, and B, you understand why they're going to be incapable of fashioning something helpful here, because they're like a cowboy high-centered on a barbed wire fence. They hate health insurance for everybody. They believe it's not morally acceptable or necessary, but they realize they can't tell Americans that. So, this whole thing is just as credible as Trump University. And this is not going to work, okay? Yeah. So, So,
4: well, so uh, I asked Twitter for questions for you uh, before we we came here. Always a good idea. Always a good idea. (laughs) But honestly, thanks. Yeah, right?
1: Please draw Pepe uh,
4: on the floor. No, the the question I got most frequently was um, what can you do, what can governors do to protect their citizens and protect their citizens' health care should you know, the House bill doesn't look like it's going to pass, but some version of the House bill, the Senate bill, passed. What, what, can govern, what power do governors have to protect their citizens?
6: The, the best thing for governors today is not to answer that question, to not give them an excuse. Oh, that's good. To not give them an excuse for dumping this 24 million people off insurance and just tell them, oh, the governors will take care of people. We should never give them license to do that. We should hold their feet to the fire. We should hold their feet to the fire. Because states do not have the capability of doing this. Look, we have, and the other thing that's so galling about this, we have had such supreme success in this in Washington State because we've been innovative. We have 750,000 people now have insurance. We have reduced the rate of medical inflation from 16 to 6% because we're integrating mental and physical health, because we're doing value-based purchasing, because we're, we have coaches to help you after your post-surgery. We're doing smart things. And we've, we've had 50,000 people now have jobs because of this. So this is working well in the state of Washington, and allow them to destroy it is not acceptable. Now, I want to come back because I wanted to make sure I got to this tonight during our discussion. I was listening to you about sort of what we do electorally, and I want to broaden the discussion. There's some obvious things that all of us need to do, which is to pepper our members of Congress with our moral outrage in every way that is appropriate. That's obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to work to elect senators that are obvious in, 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 in members of Congress. These are the things that are obvious. But here's what the Democratic team has to understand. We have to start playing the long game. And while we'll accept a 30 seat majority structurally in the House because of gerrymandering, we are never going to be able to move a progressive agenda. So we have to start playing the long game. And here's the long game stop gerrymandering start giving people adequate representation in districts and here's what's necessary in order to do that the key to stop gerrymandering is to elect democratic governors as soon as we can okay that's the key so the point i want to make here is that i really think the democratic team has to restructure its prioritization we've got to fight for democratic governors I'm going to be chair of the Democratic Governors Association here next year. We have a group called Unrig the Map, which is going to elect Democratic governors in the places where we can stop gerrymandering and pick up congressional seats. Then, then one more thing I want to say this. We've got to win these local elections, okay? We've got to start right at the bottom, school board, state legislature. I'm going to posit the, the three most important elections in the United States this fall are the gubernatorial elections in New Jersey and Virginia, yes. where we have an excellent chance to win... Both races, and the third is the 45th legislative district in the state senate in the state of Washington. Okay, All right. and and I'm serious about this. I'm serious about this. We got a great candidate, monka Dirga. electmonka.com. ElectMonca.com. Because when we start winning these races, it's a signal nationally. And it's going to tip, that, this one seat tips the entire ballot uh, measure in legislature. And you know what I can do if we get a majority? We'll start moving our climate change legislation right here in the state of Washington. So we're going to win these seats. So I think talking about our deficit at
3: the governor level is important. So we've obviously we lost, the, lost the Senate. We've lost the House. We've lost the White House. We have very few governorships. Uh, and we're sort of fighting our way back. What do you think is the, is there something that ties this together? Is there something we're failing to doing at a message level, at a political level that you see the Democrats need to change? Like what, if, you, you know, you're, you're in charge of the message, you're in charge of how we go about campaigning for these governorships, what do you do?
6: Um, I may take a moment for this if you'll allow me, because it's a pretty Please important do. question. Number one, I think the first thing is what we should not do, and what we should not do is abandon our basic fundamental values of tolerance and acceptance of who you are and who you love. <laughs> acceptance for protection of women's rights, uh, gun safety, okay? I lost my seat. I lost my seat in 1994. You guys remember that, voting for the assault weapon bill. But I'm never going to back up on that because it was the right thing to do, right? So we should never back up on those core values. But here, I would posit five things if I can run through them quickly. Number one, we got to stress we're the can-do party. We are the optimistic party. And that means, yes, we can defeat... Climate change. Yes, we can build a clean energy economy. It's built on the to that we can we can actually get this done. I think that starts that sort of underlies everything we want to do. Second, I think we understand the massive economic inequity that is creating the anxiety that hurt us in Wisconsin, and Michigan, and Pennsylvania. That anxiety is fueled by the most massive increase of economic activity and perhaps human civilization because of the forces of globalization and new technology. But we got to embed a fight against inequity, not just in the minimum wage, which we are going to do, and we've raised it here, not just in increasing collective bargaining rights, which is obviously what we need to do, but we need to think about ending inequity in everything. Take education. So we got a lot of blue-collar people doing work, and yet we've been telling people if you don't get a four year degree you're a failure. That needs to stop. We need to provide people skill training and we just came I just came from uh, we just came from the the United States first apprenticeship program in high technology just came from it. We have six hundred people it's the very first high tech computer apprenticeships program i We had the first twelve members of our of our advanced manufacturing apprenticeship in high school. Switzerland has 60% of their people have career ready when they graduate from high school. We gotta have that kind of aspiration. Number three, I think that we need to, as a party, uh, develop a reality that we are gonna be ahead of the curve in changes in technology. We gotta understand there's massive changes because of technology. Artificial intelligence, what, what's, gonna, what's our job picture gonna look like when there's no more jobs driving vehicles in the United States? And this is coming, okay? <laughs> So we need to adopt a suite of policies that will get ahead of the curve and being seen as the party who understands what is coming. So that means a whole suite of things. It means portable benefits because we're all going to work for 12 different companies. We're going to be contractors. It means it means family leave. It means being able to enter the educational um, system at age 50 and, and, and have a very easy way to do that. Fourth, I would suggest... Um, uh, we got to be the, the party of having a chance to have a planet Earth that's habitable <laughs> and own that and absolutely own that big time. And here is one thing where I do believe we have missed the bet. Uh, I ran as governor. I, was, I think I was probably the first governor who ran in uh, 2012 as a main plank that we were going to build a clean energy economy in the state of Washington. We were going to defeat climate change we are gonna defeat ocean acidification, and we're gonna build a clean energy economy. That was was sort of different at the time. I got elected, I was very much a dark horse, I was behind by 16 points when we started. We're missing a bet to understand, this is a good argument in every single district in America. I believe that, because people understand the power of new jobs (laughs) with new technology, and they know this world has to change in this direction. So embedding that is a fundamental thing in every single race we have, it is a sure winner. And by the way, it is a necessary imperative. Defeat is not an option here because without victory, as Churchill said, there is no survival. And if we don't win this thing, if we don't defeat climate change, nobody's going to be happy 50 years from now. So there's four ideas, and then the fifth is play a long game, and then you have a good uh, Elysian beer and everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Good answer. Um, Governor, you, you spoke out early <clears throat> on, um, a, a, in opposition to efforts to block Syrian refugees from coming to the United States. So I wanted to say, one, thank you for doing that. Um, wondered if, I wondered if you might talk a, talk a little bit about why you made that choice to speak out so early before, you know, before Trump came along and, and made it a particularly frightening scenario. But also, I wonder if you have thoughts on why, as a culture we managed to screw this up over and over and over again. We understand that immigrants are what make our country great. But you know, we've seen Japanese internment. We've seen efforts to prevent um, Vietnamese people from coming here. I, how do we fix the fundamental problem that gets us to this place every time we're demagoguing someone else?
6: Well, I guess uh, I would offer three reasons why I was involved early. And by the way, I did this well before we heard of Donald Trump when the Syrian refugee issue came up. Uh, I would say three things. Number one, uh, I am surrounded by people who were born in other countries who have built the most innovative, creative, dynamic, number one economy that has 58 construction cranes within 10 miles of here. And 20, probably 20% at least of the, of the computer scientists and the, and the aerospace engineers and the biotech researchers were born in a different country. They have built one of the most magnificent economies and cultures it, ever. Washington really is a magic place in that regard, so I've, I've witnessed that. And don't forget Tacoma and Yakima and Spokane either, okay, so...
3: <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of easy applause from this Seattle crowd. It's fine. I respect easy applause.
6: It's a very tolerant area, I've told you that. So... <laughs> No, but I mean, I've seen it. I've lived it. So if you want to build a successful economy, you do just what we have done, which is welcome brilliant people from around the world. That's number one. Uh, number two, I've had a little taste of this and seen what fear does. I live on Bainbridge Island. Bainbridge Island is where, Bainbridge Island is where uh, in 1942, the U.S. Army rounded up citizens of Japanese ancestry and marched them down to a ferry boat and sent them to, to camps for the duration of the war. Uh, By the way, that was a Democratic president who did that. Fear is a very powerful thing. And and we actually established a national park there at that site. I encourage you to come visit next time you're in town. It's a beautiful place. So I've seen firsthand the power of fear. The third thing is, 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 forgive me for getting a little maudlin about here, but this really is a great country already and has been for over 200 years. And it is because... It is because of that fundamental willingness to allow people to build themselves and accept a number of refugees and accept people who have a dream for their future uh, destiny of their family. This is a unique thing in, Amer- in world history. No other country has ever been non-national. No other country has built a nation out of a polygot group who came here for a purpose. So I consider this a very, very special uh, uh, thing. And the other thing is, look, I'll just tell you, you mess with my people, I'm going to be in your face. So that's the other thing that I want to say. So,
3: so I want to push on that for one second, because uh, you know, I appreciate sort of an optimistic vision for what we need to do for the economy, and, and I agree with everything you're saying about what we, what we should be doing on immigration. But if Donald Trump is president for one reason, it's because he said America's not great, and it can be great again, and, these are the, and that there are people who are angry and afraid and who, who look around and see a culture and a society that's not working for them, doesn't make sense, they don't see solutions that are helping them. What do you say to those people? What, do you, well, what, that, do you, what is your answer for them?
6: My answer is, is part to answer the second part of your question, which I didn't get to. Like, what do we do about this? That, in fact, there is a pushback in times of change. Anytime you have economic stress in American uh, history, there will be a backlash against immigration. It is a clear, linear equation. And we have now... And this is the great irony, and we experience here in Washington State, we have one of the most robust uh, economic revivals, in part because of the work your team did. And by the way, thank you for saving us from the Second Great Depression. We appreciate what you guys did. Okay,
3: You're welcome. That was Barack Obama. Thank you. That was me and Barack Obama.
6: (laughs) (laughs) But... But here's the caveat.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry. I just, I shouldn't say that ever again.
6: (laughs) I didn't hear what you said, so you're going to pass. (laughs) She took all
3: the credit for it.
6: So uh, we have this most robust economic growth, you know, of all time. We got 58 crimes here in Seattle and increasing homelessness. Now figure that one out. We got this tremendous economic engine of growth and yet massive anxiety of those who may not be at the top of the tech pyramid. That's going to create backlash against somebody, and it's a convenient target, if you will, in immigrants. That's number one. And you've got to recognize that's a reality. In American history, this is actually not unique. we just got to keep the ball rolling forward. It's not, I think we've, we always think American history was just Pollyannish and happiness, but the Know Nothing Party certainly had power in this country for a while, but we surmounted it. We, we, we interned Japanese Americans in 1942, but we learned a lesson for it, and then the governor from the place that happened stood up against Donald Trump and, uh, who, and beat him in court on his effort to prevent these refugees from coming, okay? So we should not be, I guess the answer I would give you is, We should not be daunted. We should understand fear is human. It's understandable. We shouldn't even maybe even be critical of it, but we gotta keep our eyes on the prize. Governor, I think as we look back on the 2016 election, where do you, this was
5: perhaps the most winnable election in recent memory for a party, and we lost. Where do you think the Democratic party went wrong? Next question. (laughs) Feel free to drink more of your beer before you answer. (laughs)
6: <laughs> you know, I, I, I really... I don't like to drive in the rearview mirror, so I really, you know...
4: We do. I, I, yeah,
6: you guys do. <laughs> you guys get paid for it. We're trying. You know, I don't think I have any magic views that are any different than a thousand pundits and a thousand citizens on this. Obviously, we lost in places where we had a shot that was very close in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania... Why did that happen? We recognized there were maybe some strategic decisions that were not perfect in retrospect. But I'll tell you, when you got really close elections, anything, if you lose, any decision you made looks pretty bad in retrospect, right? And, uh, and number two, look, in close races or close games, the ball, whoever gets the last bounce, wins. And this ball bounced right at the end against us. Now, I do think, as I've said before, we have to do a better job responding to the anxiety that exists because of the massive inequity that exists in our country for a variety of reasons, including, including ridiculously rich CEO pay that is not related to production, including, lack of, including lack, still lack of protection of consumers and investors on Wall Street, including some aspects of the technological change, including the fact that we don't have an educational system that really give people career and technical education like they need because we have a lack of apprenticeships. So we need to respond to that anxiety. And I think to some degree, maybe because we're optimists, maybe we haven't uh, sort of internalized that anxiety as much as we have because we think of this great success. I look at here, and uh, we got a company that's curing cancer, literally, here in Seattle, we got, a, we, got a, we got a company that has made the largest vanadium flow battery in the world that allows the integration of renewable energy into the grid. We have a company that's the largest manufacturer of carbon fiber in the world that goes into to electric cars. I just bought 100 uh, GM bolts now for electric cars for the state. We're doing all these fantastic things. But... You got people being displaced by robotics and technologically, and that rate of that is going to accelerate. We have to respond to that anxiety, and we got to do a lot of thinking and acting to do that. We started it with this apprenticeship program that I've talked about. We started it by easing the cost of education. My state was the only state last year that cut the the tuition rate for college students. I'm trying to increase our need grant by 14,000 people here. I'm trying to make sure that Everybody's kid has access to early child education. So, the whole suite of those things, the whole suite of those things, have to be designed to respond to this increase in anxiety. And as I have said, I do not believe that anxiety is going to go away naturally. I think the pace of change that is happening in our economy, due to brilliant people designing incredible technology that does make us healthier and richer, we've got to find a way to respond to that. Well, so let me ask you: You're
4: um, you're a very progressive governor in a progressive state, um, but the legislature is fairly divided, uh, evenly between Democrats and Republicans. It's very close. Um, obviously, you have more conservative areas of Washington State, you know, Eastern Washington, more rural, more conservative. What do you say when you go to those places? When you talk to people who didn't vote for you, who don't support you, like how do you, how have you found governing? in a state where you know you have a fairly healthy republican opposition and not everyone voted for you you know you have more conservative places how do you bridge that divide and what do you think we can all
6: learn from that well first i track them down who didn't vote for me <laughs> <I just laughs> <track them down. laughs> that's smart that's a good first step i think i don't i don't talk to people differently in that regard i think they have the same aspirations and the same hopes and dreams so i, I mean I, I really don't I have some experience in this. I won three out of four elections in the reddest legislative district and one of the reddest congressional districts in America. I lost the fourth when I voted for the assault weapon ban. And as I expressed, that was the right vote. I've never regretted it for a day. So I have some feeling for areas like this. I raised my three feral sons in the sagebrush. Yeah, on. And, and uh, so, so I have a feeling about this. And, but there, I do think... I do think you want to tailor your economic message to the things that can help. So right now, we passed uh, the largest uh, transportation infrastructure bill. If Congress wants to know how to do this, come see me, because in a divided legislature, we passed the largest infrastructure funding bill in the history of the state of Washington, and also the greenest, because it has the highest percentage of multimodal and, and, and low carbon technologies associated with it. So we, we um, but uh, there, we have targeted our strategic investment fund to help small business growth. Look, there's a, there's a three-person brewery over in eastern Washington that to me is, is, is important as important uh, as Microsoft. And we've got a thing called economic gardening that provides mentorship for small businesses, most of them that are in rural areas, to help these small business people, literally moms and pops, who are starting these businesses. And our strategic reserve fund has helped. There's a company over there that found a new way to make egg cartons in Wenatchee, Washington. They've now got 30 or 40 employees. To me, I'm as pleased about that as I am if we land another Microsoft office. So you you care about that. Um, We got infrastructure needs. Now, there are some things nuts we haven't cracked. Areas in rural America desperately need broadband. If you're going to expand, you've got to have access to broadband. And we're working on that right now to have a, find a way to have additional financing systems to get broadband into all of these areas. But again, there's a technological solution. Um, there is a technology coming on that, uh, with Elon Musk that's going to put, I don't know, hundreds of satellites in orbit with direct broadband access right to your home uh, at the top of your mountain. So uh, I don't know. I don't trust it.
3: Kind of an evil genius vibe I'm getting off this Elon Musk guy. There's robots, there's Hyperloops, there's cars that drive themselves. I don't know. Just something to keep an eye on. Our resident Luddite over here. I don't know. I'm fine with robots, but we start giving them thumbs. Thumbs are our
6: thing. (laughs) I can guarantee you... I can guarantee you artificial intelligence will never... Replace Pod for America. It Thank is just impossible. Never going to happen. That's why we're here. his last
3: words. All right?
6: <laughs> well, it would be, be an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Don't
0: go anywhere. This is Pod Save America, and there's more on the way. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system.
4: Tune in to Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at crooked.com slash friends. Um, should we take some questions? Would you stick around for some questions? Sure. Awesome. All right. All right, everyone, uh, I guess people are going to line up. We have about a half hour left to uh, take some questions, so we'll just try to... Roll through as many as we can. Um,
8: I have a question about first principles. Um, I feel like we do a lot of debating about policy, especially healthcare, recently, or not so much debating, I guess we kind of just voted on that. Yeah. Um, and so I know as a healthcare consultant that there are two facts about American healthcare. We're the only industrialized nation where people go bankrupt from medical bills, and we're the only industrialized nation where people die from like treatable, preventable disease, like lupus, for example, if you watch House. Um, and the question is, is, why haven't people stood up in Congress, whether it's in state legislature or our federal legislature, and said, are we okay with that? As opposed to the, the policy question, like taking a step back first and saying, "Just are we okay with that being the reality? Because I feel like it's pretty hard to say, yeah, like." We're okay with that. I feel like people would say no, and then you work towards making it not okay, but instead we're debating the actual policy of, like, how should we pay for it, and what should be pre-existing and not, et cetera. So how do do we have a first principles debate as opposed to jumping to the policy debate?
6: Well, I I would say we have had and are having that debate, and it's clear what the sides are. For the last seven years... The Republican Party has said, yes, it is okay and acceptable to us to have 20 or 30 million people without access to health care, and they said that's okay with them. They have argued about repealing Obamacare for the last seven years. Now they have a bill that will kick off over 20 million people off of health care. Now that's just clear. Hundreds of thousands of people in my state, like the woman in Spokane who was a small business person, she said she could never get health insurance, she finally got on health care. She found a lump. She got a check. Now she's a cancer survivor. But she literally said, Look, we were a struggling business. I wouldn't even had that care. I think we're having that debate. I think this is a moral division between the parties. And I think we're on the right side. And we're going to win this eventually. And by the way, let me tell you this I'm not, uh, I don't want to look too far in the crystal ball. If the Republicans succeeded in destroying health care, and that's what this bill would do that the House has paid. If something like this got through, you will suffer a collapse of health care. And it could be the first thing that leads to a single-payer system in the United States, mm. if that happens. So they might want to think about that. Yeah. You
4: know, I will also add, too, just that um, we talked about Bill Cassidy, senator from Louisiana, extremely conservative. Um, he said to the New York Times a couple months ago... You know, the one thing we have to understand as Republicans now is that the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, has now enshrined a belief that there is a right to basic health care in this country. That never happened before, right? And so whatever happens, whatever happens to the ACA, whatever replacement, like we have already moved the window. We've moved the debate. To the fact that, like, like you said, the next conversation will probably be about single payer or public option or whatever it may be. But that belief has been enshrined now that people in this country, that's why everyone's so upset about pre-existing condition stuff. People believe that there is a right to health care in this country. And that was a fight that we've had for about 100 years.
3: And by the way, yeah. that's why, yes, and that's why Paul Ryan had to lie to pass this bill. Right? He couldn't say, my philosophy is people don't deserve health care. That's the one thing I wanted. To add. He wanted, he's saying, oh, it doesn't do anything bad. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, which isn't true.
9: Uh, Hey, guys, I have a question about the burgeoning crooked media empire. Sure. So um, on Monday, you were talking about the Brent Stevens article in the New York Times, (laughs) and you were saying how it's our job as, as liberals or educated people to talk about the facts of climate science, but you didn't actually lay out what are the facts, like what is the actual data that supports climate change. And I was wondering if you guys thought about making a new podcast about making science accessible to people who aren't educated with a scientific background. Because I think what you guys do really well is making politics seem very, like, down to earth and something that you can talk about without really being an expert in it. And if you could do that with science, with stem cell research or GMOs or genetic testing or any of this stuff, I think that your audience would really appreciate it and they'd be more educated because of it. Great pitch. great pitch, great pitch. Oh.
1: Governor, Do you, Do you, know you want to these scientists?
6: Yeah. <laughs> we, by the way, we—I mean, literally—might get a little redundant that I'm bragging about Washington, but it is true. Hey, we're here. It is true. We—I mean, we've pandering. got the pandering. We got the <laughs>
3: <laughs> classic politician. Classic.
6: <laughs> and elected, I might add. So. I, <laughs> 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 no, we have at the University of Washington. We've got a climate. Uh, research institution that is, is the PhD best in the world. There, so, well, yeah. great. Yeah. Stick it out. There you
1: go. Right. It's a good idea. And look, we're we're at the we're the first inning of this thing. We've just we finally hired three staffers. They start on Monday. We've added two shows: uh Anna Marie Cox and Duran McKesson's show. So, the, the kind of idea you're recommending is a really good one, and something we want to, want to want to do and pursue and think about is because. Um, for me, for like my nerdy little foreign policy show, like I think that people feel intimidated. Thank you. Right,
2: pod save pod the, save the, the pod world. Fans. Save the
1: world. I, I, I got Always my job
5: promoting Pod Save the World.
1: I got my job on the NSC and I walked into these meetings and I thought, oh my god, how the hell did I get in here? I'm not smart enough. I don't know what I'm talking about. These are these are the people that should be making these decisions, and it turns out. Once you learn like 17 acronyms and you sit down for a while and shut up and listen, you know what's going on. You can engage and be a part of it. And so I think I want to apply that concept to a whole host of things because when, you're, when you walk into a conversation, you feel like you're a senior in a calculus class and you skip pre-cal and everything came before it, it's scary and you turn away. But we need to make people understand that you have to engage or else it's going to move on without you.
2: Uh, can I, I throw great
6: out idea. one idea, too? Yeah. Sure. I, this is a really important question. I care a lot about it. Um, you have to ask yourself why there is still such a division politically in the United States on this. In, other, in Europe, there's no division. The conservative parties, you know, accept this as well as the progressive parties. Um, I, I have to tell you, and I'm all for your idea, great idea because it will arm people more with information that they can share. But I really do believe that the fundamental problem here is not a lack of understanding the science. It's a lack of willingness to accept it. It's an identity. People people somehow have come to believe that their identity is threatened if they accept that science, that they'll have to do something politically they don't want to do. So to win, eventually, we've got to get people to understand it's not a threat to your identity. It's It's a... It's a recognition of the best attributes you have, that you care about your children and their grandchildren, and you understand economic development. You almost gotta start catering more to their identity as much to their facts, in my view.
3: Governor, you would be a perfect host for this show, but you're gonna be running for president, so there won't be time. (laughs) Next question. Yeah, we're gonna get, uh, hey. He didn't even we're, bring the mic up to his face. <laughs> we're gonna get super local here, so uh, I'm a fellow Bainbridge resident, and uh, I caucused with you. Kind of surprised you don't remember everywhere. me, but um, um, what is your position on Democratic state senators who introduced bills that radically reduced funding to light rail expansion here in Western Washington?
6: So. <clears throat> Here's what I hope we can achieve in this situation. There, there has been a big blowback, and there is some sticker shock of this situation. My belief is we need to build this from Everett to Tacoma. We cannot allow that to be derailed, and we cannot allow a political revolt against this to succeed, either through Tim Eyman or any other purpose. So we have to, we have to accomplish.
3: Yeah. Well, it was Democrats. It wasn't Tim Eyman. It was me, Democratic me, senators. No, let me stop you. Yeah. Let me from, stop you.
6: I believe this session we need to have a bill that will come out that will fund this to get it done from Everett to Tacoma. Number one, we cannot jeopardize completion of both ends of this track. Number two, I do believe it's smart to give some relief to some degree so we don't end up with a revolution that is going to throw this whole thing out. Now if they make a good decision that hits that sweet spot, I think it would have been a good decision. If they're outside of that sweet spot. If they are going to impair the ability to finish this project, then we should reject it. So those discussions are going on, and I'll tell them what you had to say.
3: Yeah. And uh, I used to live, I moved here from Wisconsin, so when you run for president, I got Wisconsin for you. So (laughs) I'll find you,
9: buddy, okay?
0: All All politics is local, right?
10: I have a messaging question for you. You can answer it too, Governor. Um, you, one of the questions that you ask your guests a lot um, is "What? where did the message go wrong, right? And I'm wondering if you guys could talk about what maybe we should be saying one-on-one in bars or coffee shops to people... We can donate, we can, we can click on the links, we can buy the t-shirts, we can do all the different things. But I think those like, personal conversations where we can talk to people who maybe were Obama voters and then were Trump voters. My husband and I live in eastern Washington, so we're Seattle's a very friendly place to us. But there we have more opportunity to have conversations with people who don't think like us. And I'm just wondering if you have some ideas.
5: I think the first step is to listen. And hear what it is from those people that made them switch, right? And you know, it may be you know if the, if what is driving that is some sort of economic anxiety, is to talk about what it is that Democrats will do, whether it's raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, whether it is ensuring that tax cuts go to the middle class, not to the wealthy, and, tr- and try to understand what what the cause of that anxiety is. And, ex- and we, there is no question in my mind that Democrats have the policy proposals that will address their need. But we have to understand it first and then explain it to them in their values. Yeah. Um,
4: Anna Marie Cox was saying this the other day. Uh, she's like, a lot of times, we're in a situation now where people put tribe before belief. And so if you lead with, so I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican and now I want to convince you to believe to be a Democrat, like, that's not going to ever work. But if you start by saying, well, what issues really upset you? What, what do you care about? You know, say, well... I'm not making enough money. I don't think my wages are high enough, or it's hard to get jobs, or it's hard to afford education. And you say, okay, well, what do you think we should do about that? And you have a discussion around the issues first and the solutions to those issues, and you might find when you start that discussion that you believe in very similar solutions, right? And you don't have to start by putting a label on it that it's Democrat or Republican, and you just have that conversation first. Thank
7: you. Thank you. Guys. Um, so first I want to say, uh, as a former intern on Governor Inslee's campaign, nice. we're so Thank thankful you. Uh, for having you, as, you know, as a leader in our state. Um, but this is a multiple part question, which I know you guys love. Um, Bring it. But number one, with his impassioned monologue on health care, many people are saying that Jimmy Kimmel is a contender for the 2020 uh, election. When, when uh, you get to the question... <laughs> What do you guys think about his chances? And no. uh, n- number two, how ridiculous do you think it is? And Governor Inslee being, you know, a subject of rumors about 2020. Um, how ridiculous do you think it is that we, you know, constantly are talking about the 2020 election when what we really need to focus on is 2018 and, you know, what's in front of us right now. I feel like
4: those are leading questions. Yeah.
1: There's nothing more <laughs> annoying than watching a politician interviewed on some Sunday show. And they say, are you going to run for president? And they say, I'm focused on the job that I'm currently doing. And it's like, oh, but what about your book that just came out? What, I'm focused? It's like we are skipping past all the things that actually matter, about what they stand for, what they believe. Which
4: is why we didn't ask Governor Inslee. Love Maybe it. Guys, Love it kind of day. I'm, I'm going to ask.
5: <laughs> if you are, get in line. Whatever.
4: But yes, no, it is too early to talk about 2020. That's what the governor was talking about earlier, is that, like, before we even start focusing on these uh, 2018 congressional races, right, there's special elections coming up. There's two governor's races in 2017. There's local elections that make a difference. Like, I, I do think that part of the reason the Democratic Party has had problems over the last however many years is we thought, oh, Barack Obama's in the White House, and so everything's fine. We don't need to worry about anything else. And that's not true. And that's never going to be true no matter who's in the White House. Um, this... This is a daily struggle that lasts forever to figure out how to elect Democrats up and down the ballot um, everywhere across the country. And look,
5: help the Affordable Care Act is the law of the land. We passed Wall Street, Barack Obama passed Wall Street reform, was able to pass the Recovery Act, save the economy, all because in 2006, Democrats took the House and the Senate. So if we want to elect a Democratic president in 2020 and give them the capacity to actually restore the Affordable Care Act if it goes away, put in place the, the policies we care about, we have to win these congressional elections. Otherwise, we're just sort of holding sir for four years.
1: And, and to your Jimmy Kimmel point, I mean, like uh, what, what I think his speech reminded us, which is helpful, is everyone is for the most, the vast majority of people are born young and healthy. And then at some point along the way, you're not. And there before the grace of God, go I, right? And, and that his story about the horror of, of having a child and watching Your child suffer from what his kid went through is a good reminder of like why if you feel like government is is too big and too costly and and screw that and screw Washington like someday it might matter to you a lot and I think you know speeches like that that are passionate from the heart mean something I don't think he will run for president or anything else Uh, he's got a sweet gig but
5: you know Tommy it kind of sounds like you're prepping a stump speech Get off my turf.
1: (laughs) I'm very focused on my two podcasts then.
11: Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, big fan. Uh, So I have a question about the uh, GOP through something we haven't talked about yet, uh, the lens of healthcare. (laughs) Um, So, I'm I'm trying to understand these people whose jobs it is to represent the people in their districts. Um, And we've talked about, we sort of have two different tones or conversations about um, these people, uh, representatives and senators, in that uh, they're doing, they're playing, you know, nth dimensional chess or, you know, they're throwing keggers because they've just pushed a bill through the house, um, you know, in record time with no no, uh, score. Uh, financial score, and I'm wondering, uh, which is it? Are they are they playing? Are they doing political calculus on this, or are they, you know, are they um, just doing it as fast as they possibly
1: can? They're not right? that is smart.
11: It, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it PAC mentality or is it political
4: calculus? That's M- what I want to know. I think Pac Gov- mentality. Yeah,
1: comments good. earlier that they are the Medicaid cuts facilitate a huge tax cut are spot on. Well, it's a good, I mean it's a good question
4: for the governor too. Like when you were in the house and you had to face a tough vote like that. I mean, obviously, you didn't face it like these Republicans faced this one, but what's your thought process in figuring out how you're going to vote? I mean, are you paying attention to what your constituents are saying? Are you listening to calls? Are you listening to email? I mean, how do you make that decision?
6: Well, first off, I, I don't, I'm sincere in not meaning disrespect, but it doesn't matter why they did or are doing what they're doing. What matters is what we're going to do about it. That's what we've got to focus on we got to figure out which races, what phone call we can make to elect a legislator, electmonca.com, okay? All right, that's two plugs. Yeah. We talked about one plug. No, I mean... mean, (laughs) The third one will cost you. I'm I'm really serious about this because, you know, we've spent a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror here. we got to start looking forward, so I'm really serious about this. But having said, in answer to your question... The motivations and the thought process of members of Congress, there's, there's 435 different matrices, and they're all different, and they're a combination of, of public interest and ideology and fear of getting defeated and hopes for being on your podcast. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's just a mix, and everybody's different to some degree. Mm-hmm. I do believe, and, and this is heresy, but... Just about every member of Congress that I've dealt with had some sort of sincere motivation. You know, it might have been misguided, but they had some what they believed sincere motivation. But in this one, they're just flat wrong. That's the best I can give you. Cool. Thank you.
12: Hi, guys. Hello. Um, so, big fan of the pod. I commute 50 miles a day. So, generally, a day with a pod is a great day. Oh, um, thank you. And it's getting better by the day, because now I have one every day, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, I grew up in Montana, and um, as anybody who grew up in a, in a rural state, even Washington, with a rural side and a city side, a more urban side, um, I think there's a difference in how we look at the debate and how we look at the conversations that we have day to day than people who have only been on the coasts. And I see that legitimately, um, even before I live on the coast and have for decades now. But with that conversation, I think that there is another Piece. And I'm curious about your perspectives in terms of the shift from identity politics, Republican versus Democrat, that sort of like I am here on either side of the spectrum, to a moral obligation as it relates to health care and other things, um, where we start to say this isn't right, right? Like there was a cruelty aspect and a morality aspect, helping others. I am among you as one who serves. And where is the service call? in what we're doing. And that's, at least for me, what I feel like is missing because I don't identify as a Democrat in all of this. I've worked for Democrats. I have had I absolutely, in terms of a voting perspective, identify with Democrats when it comes time to check the box. But yet, from a day-to-day perspective, where is that message that says, what do we care about? And I think that that's what you guys come back to day to day when it comes to the Buttigieg and Perez and the like, is that we're not calling out to what it is that truly calls us. It's not just I'm a Democrat. It's that I can help you. Even though I don't know what your perspective is, I can help you. Or I see that you're down and I can help you. Where is that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's just... that's uh a. I think that's good advice. I think it's always important to remember that there are lots and lots of people who aren't keyed into the day-to-day political fights. But
12: John, I'm not looking for advice. I'm looking for like
3: I'm not where looking. Do we for, go? I'm not giving you advice. I'm where getting do we advice go? from you.
12: Like, I mean, like that's. The thing. I'm trying like, to humor you.
3: The uh, <laughs> uh, what? what? Well, I, you interrupted me in the middle of my answer, and I don't know what your concern yeah. was with what I was starting to well, say. Well,
12: no, 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 no. Like I'm. I'm you like, want to get into it? Let's go. Bring it.
3: Like, well,
8: you nice, want to be on the pod? Like
3: the nicest Bring person it. so far,
4: you're I'm just yelling so at awesome. her. <laughs> We're having a conversation.
12: No, but like literally, like what's the hook, right? What's the hook in that conversation that shifts? No fighting. Like what is the shift? What is the shift from identity politics? Everybody who's in this room yeah. identifies Democrat. I guarantee you, no. everybody has identified at a certain point as a Democrat. No. Where do you go from independent Democrat? to what is the conversation about what we actually believe I think that the, in this?
3: The, 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 what I'm taking away from that and what I think is important is uh, not to get lost in the sides and to come back to principles, mm-hmm. like what somebody asked earlier, mm-hmm. that what we're fighting for is not a democratic health care bill. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not fighting for Obamacare because a Democrat passed it. We're fighting for it because we believe in health care for all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're not fighting against uh, Trump's tax plan... <laughs> Because we're against Donald Trump, we're fighting for it because we believe that inequality is a serious problem in this country, and we want mm-hmm. uh, a fair tax code that recognizes the way the economy has changed in the, in the, in, uh, in the last 30 years. So I, I don't think it's that complicated. I think it's about remembering that we're not advocating for, for democratic policies. We're advocating for principles that we believe in. I don't think it's that much more harder I than like, that. Yeah, that's
4: so awesome. like, yeah. mm-hmm. so I, when you were talking about all that, I thought back to Barack Obama's 2004 convention speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Demo- it's at the Democratic convention, mm-hmm. and it's the keynote address. And I was working for John Kerry at the time. I was on the campaign. He sat on the floor of that convention, and every single keynote address at a Democratic convention, speaker goes out there and they say, we're the Democratic party, and this is what we believe in, and this is why, and blah, 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 blah. Barack Obama, in that speech, probably did not mention the word Democrat mm-hmm. until like three-fourths of the way through that speech. And yet that convention hall was on its feet because people believed that that's what that party stood for, because they believed that that's what that party stood for because that's what America stood for. Mm -hmm. And what he did is he told a story about the country and the values that hold us together Mm -hmm. and redefined what the Democratic Party is with that story. And so I do think that sometimes we get caught up too much in the... this is who who we are as Democrats, and we ask this question all the time on the podcast. What's the party stand for? Who are we? What's our message? But really, it's the question of, like, what values in this country bind us together, and then where can we go from there?
1: Yeah, and to to add on to that, I mean, another problem we've had is we're at this place in time where the parties define themselves more about what they're against than what they're for, which is so toxic. And I find myself doing this, Mm -hmm. And, and Donald Trump is, like, the most disgusting like, end goal of this because it's all like he doesn't know what he doesn't know what's happening day to day. He's just like a dotty old racist, yes. to quote my friend here, yes. who's like ambling yeah, around the White House.
5: All your corners today, but it's um, fine. but fine. right,
1: but like, we it, it, it's about winning and losing and not about a core belief. And God forbid we talk about service yes. and who are helping and all this. like, so like, everything you said is right and important to remember and easy to forget in the day to day back and forth mm-hmm. because that's what's on the news. And that's what's fun to talk about. And those are the idiots that we yeah. hate. But when as we're... soon
12: as you go door to door, as oh, soon yeah. as you yeah. go door totally. to door, you, don't hear you the... start to understand that there is no, there is no, I'm a Democrat because that's what Democrats believe or I'm a Republican. It is right. literally, you have to answer for yeah. what Absolutely. that is. Thank you, thank much. you, thank much. Thank you very much. Thank much. totally right.
13: <laughs> I want to get a little bit back to sound transit.
1: Um, (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts on light rail uh,
13: probably everyone in this room was really outraged about all the action in Olympia after voters, voters passed ST3 this year Um, And I'm wondering if you can help just shed some light on the political nuance and the challenges that we face in Olympia on progressive transportation policies and also on a larger scale, you know, what are the nexus points, what are the commonalities that we can find with rural communities and with uh, conservatives on uh, progressive transportation policies so that when we hear about large infrastructure packages coming out of Washington that we can be excited that they're going to pay for sidewalks and communities and, and bicycle connections and mass transit that's reliable um, and not in addition to uh, roads and bridges. Governor, Go I'll take this one. Thank I'm just you. kidding. I'm just Thank
3: kidding. You. I'm just kidding. I really, really need it's you to, to take this friends. one. <laughs>
6: it's really good to have friends, you know. A couple comments. First off, uh, uh, bless the voters who said they have this vision. We are going to build light rail that should have been built 30 years ago from Everett to Tacoma. We're going to do this, okay? It's a big deal. It's a $54 billion project. You can't build it on popcorn and good wishes. You've got you to raise $50 billion to pay for this. But it's the spine of the most rapidly growing metropolitan area in the Western world, probably. We have to do this. So we should make sure whatever happens in Olympia this year continues that commitment to get that job done, number one. Number two, I want to tell you, the connection between infrastructure and climate change is, is very, very close. That is why I was happy that when we did the largest infrastructure package in our state's history, we also had the largest percentage that went to buses and rail and bicycle and sidewalks and trip reduction. Because the way you reduce carbon is not to waste energy. And the best way to, to not waste energy is to use public transit if it meets your needs. And so we assured that I fought for and I would have liked to have got more to make sure that we had a higher percentage of green technologies, but I'm glad we, had, we we're at the high water mark. But there's more to do. Look, we've got to electrify our transportation grid. We can, 50 years from now, we cannot be building, uh, using fossil fuels significantly in our transportation grid. The planet will not survive if we do that. So we have to fairly rapidly use technologies. Lithium-ion batteries are going gangbusters. We're using electric cars now in our state. This is not just the future, it's a present. And Washington State's going to lead the world. And you can tell Jerry Brown, I will prove to him, I have the most electric cars in my my fleet in the state of Washington, not California.
3: Don't you come on this stage and come at Jerry Brown with us. All right? We're from California now. We like Jerry Brown.
2: (laughs) I did not
1: predict this many light rail questions, but I love it. I love... Hot button, local issues. This is great. This reminds me of being in Iowa (laughs) for a full year, kicking the crap out of John Lovett's
3: campaign. I forget who it was. (laughs) Whatever. My candidate candidate lost, and I got the same job anyway. (laughs) So whatever.
4: Anyway, we had questioners.
3: That was great. Sorry. Hi.
13: Hello. I'm going to take your question from you. I'm sorry. Are you going to run for president? Yes.
6: Yeah. Oh. What was that answer? You yeah. I thought you were
2: pretty good.
1: I'm focused on I'm the job. Fo- I'm
3: focused on the job. And I want you to know, we'll be very aware of tense games, all right? That you're not running, etc. So just, just know that we're all on the ball. We're all politically savvy. Um,
6: I have not declared for president in the last 30 minutes. How's that? <laughs> That's good. Does Does that help? If you wanted to, this would be Does a good, good place to do it. Yeah.
13: Sure. And as a uh, follow-up.
4: That was smart Get the second question in
13: I'm I'm not a voter I won't be able to be a voter come 2020 Because I got my green card In the mail on Inauguration day
2: Thank goodness (laughs) Under
13: the wire Just, Just got in there What do you have to say to people like me Who love this country, who came here But we can't use our votes We don't have those What else can we do?
6: Well, uh, you, are, you, are, you are vested with all the first-minute rights of anyone else, and that means you have the right to go to electmonca.com. That's three. Okay. It's and unbelievable. You can, unbelievable. Yeah. You're can, a guest here. You, you can volunteer. You can volunteer should you so desire. And I'm serious, I mean, you can do virtually everything else that a citizen can do except that one issue. We hope that you will consider citizenship when you can. But, but people have. <laughs> Fair.
1: Hard to
4: get. You are a
6: hard sell. I mean, come on.
4: I mean, it's a tough time. This is like, pardon our time. appearance, United States. You know what I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Under
6: construction. <Yeah. laughs> Awful
4: there's, a
3: dog, there's a dog holding a broken wire. Do, 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 do.
6: Come, come join the parade right now. You don't have to wait. And I'm serious about that. You can do anything that these people in the front row, you can do. I hope you will. Thank, Thank you. you. for that guy. Thank you so much.
14: Hey, guys. Hey there. Uh, yeah. Also a big fan. Um, so I am a, a third-year resident in internal medicine here at the University of Washington. Um, so. We have uh, fifteen hundred medical residents just at UW. That's not counting all the other places in Seattle. So there are a lot of young doctors in Seattle and we're obviously all very, very concerned. Um and I guess this is sort of a, um a messaging question. I think one of the issues with healthcare specifically is that you know nobody knew it was so complicated. And um <laughs> and you know, and legitimately how do we You know, convey something that's so complicated to our patients, to our friends. And, you know, I think some of you look at the people who have effective messaging, you know, we've, you guys have talked about Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who are like very much on message. And I wonder if there is something in healthcare that we can convey accurate information. Because you have, I mean, people like all, basically all of the Republican House members who are just telling untruths about. You know the way that their bill works, and even uh, one of our congressmen, congresswomen in Washington from Spokane, is just telling falsehoods about like what the bill does and what it doesn't do. I, re- I read the op-ed today. That was quite. Simple. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's <laughs> a, and it's just a, and so how is there something that I think is there something that as physicians, as young physicians, that we can do to help band together to convey an accurate and informative but simple message about healthcare you know, going forward to, to help protect our patients?
5: Well, a couple things. One, doctors are some of the most trusted people by the public. And so just having that position is very important to convey that. But I think it goes to first principles, which is we believe that everyone in this country has a right to affordable, accessible health care, and they do not. And, that, and because of what President Obama and Governor Inslee and the people of Congress passed seven years ago, we, we move towards that right. And what this bill would do is take that away.
3: Yeah, and the one thing I'd also say is, you don't have to worry about what other people you're the message. You're somebody who's an expert, you're somebody who's going to be a practicing doctor, and you're against this. And when they say that they're about trying to fix the relationship between doctors and patients, you can say that that's bullshit, and you're speaking from a place of expertise. You're not an ordinary person in this debate. You're at the center of it. Um, it matters that the American Medical Association is against this bill. And so what I'd say is, you decide what the message is, because we'll follow your lead. You're a doctor. You're gonna be a, I don't know what. I don't know the terms. Are you technically a doctor already? I don't know what a resident is. I I didn't, I'm a doctor. You're a doctor. <laughs> yes. You're a doctor. God damn it! You're you're a doctor, man. You're a doctor. So say so, and that's the message, and we'll follow you. Thanks, guys.
11: Hi, I've been a, a really big fan uh, ever since you guys were on Bill Simmons' podcast, like way back when, when wow, we were nice. all so hopeful and everything was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> but my uh, question is about the media and kind of um, one thing I've noticed lately, and I don't know how, how long it's always been like this, but we only cover things kind of in the moment. So like the healthcare bill, uh, when it got revived, it got covered only kind of focusing on the, the way it would affect pre-existing conditions and that was the way a lot of mainstream media covered it. And I guess I was wondering, uh, how do we focus kind of on uh, the entire message? Uh, How do we take that, uh, how do we keep the scope focused on everything that's going on, not just the uh, thing that's happening in
4: that moment? Man, that's tough. Um, No, because look, we've now been in media for a little while ourselves, and um, I would formally criticize the media for doing just that when we put together a podcast outline we're like well what's in the news today what do we talk about now but i i was thinking the same thing the other day cuz i'm like we're all talking about the pre-existing condition stuff because that was the latest amendment but like the, the far bigger problem is actually going to be you know the 24 million people who are going to lose their health care which i guess that's old news so we don't talk about yeah. that anymore right like exactly. there's 880 billion dollars being cut from medicaid like that's not a huge deal all the same old- The essential benefits that are being cut, you know, hospitalization, able. So it isn't. They will never. The news will never have an incentive to um, go backwards and cover the whole story and
1: give you the whole context because it's all in the moment,
4: you know. And so it's sort of up to us to try to.
1: To the extent that Donald Trump is unintentionally intelligent or genius at anything, it's exactly this. Yeah. Yeah. He. Pinballs back and forth from massive fuck up to fuck up and, and excuse my language cover, it, to mistake and error. <laughs> and we, we, I, forget the things that, that, the mistake that came 24 hours ago. Um, I don't know how to fix that problem. I do think, like, stepping back to first principles and focusing on the fact that, you know, while we can talk about Upton's amendment that will, that it, we're pretending will address pre existing conditions and the high risk pools. There's a broad, like, focusing on the broader harm that the bill will cause to all Americans. It will harm, it not, it's not only that 24 million people will lose insurance, it, they will, it could potentially make all of our insurance worse because of what they're doing.
3: Yeah, and one other thing, I, I would say one of the most inspiring things has been not just the fact that people have been protesting, but the consequence of that protesting, which has been we were able to rest the microphone away from Donald Trump and from the Republicans in the House that, that when Republicans show, when Democrats showed up at town halls and started chanting about this bill, that was a way of saying, hey, let's focus on what really matters here. When, when you know, millions of people showed up after Inauguration Day, that was about, about resting the microphone away and talking about what we cared about. And I think that's a power we still have right now.
6: So can I, can I in, try to recruit you here? Um, the days where we, ser- that we can kind of let the media do our work are just over. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the original document says, we the people. we got to think out of it now as we the media. We're the media. There's 750 people here who are the media. If a, they will go to their f- pages tonight and write an individual message, there will be 75,000 people who will get a message that they individually write. And by the way, i got to tell you, when you write an individual message, you don't just send them a link to these guys' brilliance. It has an impact. And I just encourage people to become the media. We're the media, we should see that, that ourselves, and we'll move the world. I really do believe that. Uh, also include the link.
4: Well said, Governor.
6: Good question.
8: Hi, Governor. Uh, hi, guys, big fan. Uh, John Fabreau, actually, big fan of Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll take all the credit. <laughs> so uh, a week or two ago, uh, Levitt said, that the Hillary campaign may be lost because her policies were too well thought out and they looked like they already went through rounds of compromise and maybe instead Democrats run on campaign, run on uh, policies that maybe aren't as realistic but more exciting so I guess my my, my my question is uh... do we really need to do that when we're the party with the better ideas and can we just run on honest realistic
3: policies Yeah. <laughs> It. Oh, yeah. John loves this now. <laughs> uh, here's what I think. I think that Bernie Sanders put out a college proposal that was very expensive that probably had no chance of passing through Congress, and so it went into the, the kind of democratic apparatus, and what came out was a more affordable, more complicated version. I think the same thing happened on the minimum wage proposal. Uh, now, I think that I actually, you know, when I, when I think about what I said, which is that, that that's maybe less realistic... I think that's probably the wrong way to say it. I think what I mean is that we should be more visionary, and that we should be more uh, aspirational aspirational in our proposals, because um, we're in the wilderness. We have lost. And I think that everything that the governor has been talking about about the way forward I think is really exciting and really optimistic, but I want to be practical about how hard it is to get people to hear us, how little they trust the media right now, how little they can, how, how, how filtered and confusing and noisy everything is. And, and what I saw in 2016 is what cut through that noise. And what I see is a simple, elegant message from someone like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Governor Inslee. And I want to make sure that we figure out how to say that and be that, be, be simple and elegant. And sometimes that may mean that it hasn't, doesn't necessarily pass the CBO test. That's, that's what I was trying to get at.
5: I think the lesson here is the CBO doesn't matter anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, you brought up the, you brought up oh, the CBO. Oh, that's just chilling. Yeah. yeah, we're the CBO. You're we're public. the CBO now. <laughs> Donald Trump is president. Things can cost whatever you want. Is that Thank good? You. You feel good about that? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I think, we, I think we saw that one.
9: Hi. Um, After the election, I was kind of trying to focus on the one thing I could do, because our brains were all going crazy. Um, And I just kind of kept circling back to right-wing media. And it's powerful. It seems ridiculously powerful when you see some of the surveys that come out where Republicans are getting their news almost entirely from Fox News or other small sources like that, and Democrats tend to kind of go all over the place. I was just wondering where you saw crooked media falling into that, and is there any hope of sort of pushing against that? I mean, you see all the stuff that's going on at Fox News right now, and is it going to make any sort of difference? Is it going to, like, start crumbling, or is it just going to be this powerful juggernaut forever?
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, if it's not Fox, it'll be someone else. It'll be Breitbart or something else. Like, I, I think about this all the time. Um, it's, it is one of the reasons we started this company. Like, I think um, we don't pay enough attention to how much power the right-wing media has. Like, we think that Trump has somehow hypnotized everyone, and he, it's, he's just basically repeating stuff he's heard on Fox forever, right? <laughs> Literally. Literally. That's, like, all he does. Um, but when you really Yesterday. think... Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that you can't... You can't go to battle with propaganda the way they do. Like, we, we'll never... Look... Their job on their side of the, uh, what they're trying to do is to basically burn down a barn. They are trying to say that all your problems, here's who to blame, right? You try to blame blame someone who doesn't look like you, who doesn't come from where you come from, who isn't like you, right? Like, they're all about blame. They're all about burning down the system, right? Our job, what we believe, is that we want to make people believe in progressive government. We want to make people believe that by coming together, we can actually do something better and improve people's lives in a community. That's always going to be a harder job than to just say, that's wrong, that's fucked up, and you should go blame that person for that, right? So we'll never be able to be Fox News and Breitbart and all that stuff. We'll never have that on the left. But what we can have is more media that reaches people where they are and entertains them and doesn't talk to them like they're, you know, doesn't patronize them and actually speaks like normal human beings and that's what we're trying to do here, right? It's just, like, have a conversation about politics like you'd have it with your friends and maybe make it funny once in a while but make it interesting but, like, the left should never try to copy what Fox and Breitbart and right-wing radio are because they lie all the time, you know? And, like, we want to be honest. And and our project is to figure out if can we be honest about politics and still reach out to people and get them motivated? That's the test. So D-
1: Dan, what do you think about that? Because we were we I, I was far below you in the comms office, but like we were we lurched back and forth on this, right? Like we hated Fox News, we didn't talk to them for months at a time, but then Barack Obama did a Bill O'Reilly Super Bowl interview. Like do you think they've passed are they outside the norm and they'll never come back? Or like, are we just going to stay in that cycle?
5: I think it's important to understand that Fox is not a conservative news organization. They're a Republican Party arm. Right? They, when George Bush was, wanted to go to the Iraq War, they were for the Iraq War. When Barack, when the, when Barack Obama wanted, was talking about possibly launching a strike in Syria, they were against launching launch a strike in Syria. When immigration seemed like the savior of the Republican Party, they were for immigration. When it turned out that it could motivate voters against Democrats, they were for that. And so I think John is exactly right that Fox, we, Democrats should not try to become Fox News. As long as, as long as I've been in politics, someone says, What's the Fox News to the left? What's going to be the Fox News to the left? Our job is not to become Fox News, it's to beat Fox News. Because I think, I think Fox News and all of its dangerous stepchildren like Breitbart and Daily Caller and all of that are the, perhaps the most pernicious force in our politics because they have tremendous influence and they use that to scare people on a daily basis and that's very dangerous.
4: And, and the thing to remember, the most, the, what Governor Inslee said, which is extremely hopeful, is like, we now have the power for like everyone to be the media, right? Like, there's, you can write a message on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever else. It's like, the ne- if there is a resurgence on the left in the media space, it is not going to be a fucking cable channel. <laughs> it's it going to be gonna crooked a- media.
3: <laughs> I'm the billion-dollar company, Hub of the Resistance.
6: More applause. Great <laughs>
5: merch.
6: Please clap. I just I want to point out that Bill O'Reilly uh, called me a dunderhead on Fox News four weeks ago, and two weeks later he was gone. That's, yeah. it. <laughs> That's, <laughs> it.
2: That's
1: it. You did it. <laughs> God, that guy is the worst.
9: Okay. Hi, guys. Hi. Um, Hello. Hi. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> uh, I am a proud resident of the 31st District, where we're also having a special election, michellerylands.com. Yay. Yay. Mm. Um, but I'm also a cancer survivor and an educator. Yay. And... I gotta tell you, the only thing that scares me more than the beer party in the Rose Garden yesterday is Betsy DeVos. And I'm wondering, Governor, if, you know, I know we're kind of have a little special session going on and we're kind of trying to, you know, handle our paramount duty to fully fund education. Um, But I'm also worried that in compromising, we might be opening doors to make things easier for Betsy DeVos to kind of do her thing, and so I'm just wondering where you guys, you know, uh, and also if, you know, you need a pod, Pod Teach America, I'm your girl. That's
6: an excellent title. Well, uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, our job is to provide for the ample education and basic funding for education so our excellent teachers can do excellent work. That's our job. Our job is not to privatize Education with Betsy DeVos's Bad Dreams about vouchers I can tell you that right now. And we will have to be alert to those efforts. So far, actually, it's interesting they really have not arisen, as your fears really have not totally been realized quite yet. But the, the session is, is still going on. I do want to say this, because we haven't talked about education here, and I want to say a couple words about it if I can. Um, this week is Teacher Appreciation Week. And I got to tell you, I see the most magical things in our communities in our classrooms right now. Our kids are getting an education three times better than I ever got because they've got teachers with capabilities and methods of doing project-based learning, teaching their students how to be social with one another, work together as a team, understand physics means more than just something on a blackboard, I was at a school the other day uh, where they were design- a high school, junior high school students were doing research with Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research. Uh, that same school, uh, right around the corner, juniors were designing a- an artificial left ventricle for an artificial heart. The things that are going on in our schools today are unbelievable. And when people attack public education as a failure, they ought to spend a little time in the classrooms and see the good teaching that's going on. We need, to, we, need to, we need to just give teachers the resources to do their job. I'm committed to doing that. We are hopeful the parties are going to reach a resolution on that. We need one party to kind of catch up with the other party. You'll have to fill in the blanks which party that is. But we're going to get this job done for you, and thanks for your work. Thank you. Thank you
9: follow up question are you guys going to tell us where the after party is or is that a secret
3: listen I'm just going to say if I could pick let's just say it rhymes with bees cake factory but I'm not sure that that's going to (laughs) happen yeah boo me all you want I don't care kidding (laughs)
2: let's
3: try a local Seattle place
1: (laughs) ridden out on a rail (laughs) a light rail
7: Hi, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for the work you guys are doing. At least a couple hours out of every week where I am laughing instead of feeling like I might possibly go completely out of my mind with rage. Um, But uh, uh, one of the things you brought up in the pod not long ago um, that that really caught my attention was the notion of uh, not trying to look in the rearview mirror anymore at what happened in 2016, but rather look forward and have a conversation about, um, you know, how, how to frame what we're talking about here, which is that the poly dis- policy discussion is all very interesting, but we're, we've been losing this Conversation for 30 years because it's not a values based conversation. And um, I came across a mention about the work that George Lakoff has been doing, and I know you're acquainted with his work um, down at Berkeley and uh, his book, like. Uh, Talk so, like an elephant. Or thank whatever. you, yeah about the elephant Um, (laughs) and um, yeah and you were talking about using some time on the podcast to basically workshop this notion and I just wanted to say I think that would be an incredibly useful thing for you to be doing I'd like to see you invite George Lakoff onto the pod and um, you could be using your Facebook page to workshop this because that's how we win is the values conversation not just which version of the policy or which version of the le- legislation is best? We have to, we have to uh, talk from the point that you were just saying a, a minute ago, John, about what binds us together. You
1: know, we agree, and we're trying to get John Favreau to start a, uh, a messaging podcast of his own. So if you guys think that John should get off his twice a week, Two hour a week work Very week.
3: cushy, yeah. Yeah, really,
1: really very awesome. cushy schedule. <laughs> very cushy schedule and start his own podcast about democratic values and messaging. Pod save the Maybe a show, of, a show yes. of hands.
3: Maybe a joint pod with George.
1: <laughs> George
3: and John are friends. George Lagoff's not hosting a podcast, so that's, I'm just kidding, I'm anyway, just kidding.
4: That's a great idea. No, you're it's right. Great I idea. mean, we do, look. We come from, I mean, we were on the Obama campaign, and that campaign was largely about speaking in values. That's what he taught all of us. And, um, and I think that's what we take from that campaign. And, look, it's really hard, too, because we've talked about media filters a lot here, and oftentimes it doesn't get reported what the message of the politician was that day, right? Like what, his, what the person's speech was, what his or her speech was. It's the new policy news. So it takes a lot of discipline, for a politician to go out there and deliver the same message every day and make it about values and about the, what's at stake because the media pushes against that and every incentive pushes against that, right? So you really have to bear down and not worry about the fact that you might not make the headline every day but go out to the people directly and say, this is my message, it's going to be aspirational, it's going to be inspirational, and that's what I'm going to stick with. So, But you're right, you're absolutely right.
15: Hi, uh, thank you guys for coming here. Um, I, like many voters in 2016, had the concern that Hillary Clinton was uh, starting a uh, terrorist group in the Middle East, uh, and so I googled, "Did Hillary Clinton found ISIS?" Yes. And uh, the top Google result was a Breitbart article that said, um, "Did Hillary Clinton found ISIS?" Indisputable fact check says yes. That is true, and. I. No, well, hold on. The, the link was actually there. I'm not saying that the <laughs> story is true. Right, no. I saw that. I really did see that link. Um, and we all, uh, like, you know, I was, I was shocked. I hope you guys are shocked as well, and we're, we're all laughing at it. But do you guys really understand that millions of people think that? Like, real, I'm, I'm dead serious. I've never been more serious in my life. Look, millions I- of people think that. A big red flag for me was uh, in
4: September. Went to a wedding in Cincinnati where my fiance is from, and um, someone who had, you know, babysat them when she was a child came up to me and she's like, "Oh, you're the one who worked for Obama." I'm like, "Yeah." She goes, "Well, I'm trying to figure this out. Um, I'm I'm deciding between Hillary and Trump. I want to vote for Hillary. I'm just, I'm worried about the fact that she killed all those people." And I was like, "You mean like?" Like she voted for the Iraq war or like the Benghazi. She's like, no, no, no. Like she had that list of people that she killed. I think I still might vote for her, but I'm, I'm just, it gives me pause. And I was like, oh shit, this is like a real, you know, so yes, this is a, it's, a, it's, it's a, a huge,
3: it's a huge problem, right? There's a massive disinformation campaign on, on one side, but I also think it's important that we not go down the rabbit hole of thinking the way we win is we fight that disinformation campaign on its terms because, uh, it's look, people. People are out there right now. It's on Facebook. It's everywhere. They're choosing their own facts, right? We do it ourselves, and, and but not to the same extent. But the the right has a whole apparatus designed to deliver facts that satisfy their their basis biases. Um, I think that's why it comes back to a values conversation because it's it's a lot easier to fight somebody's set of facts than it is to fight somebody's set of values, right? That, that, and that's something I think the right understands better than us, that if you come at this, every question is a philosophical question. Well, then, facts kind of bounce off of that, right? We have to have a set of philosophies and a core set of beliefs that we're fighting for, and we don't argue on the terms of, they claim she killed people in Benghazi, or that Obamacare is going to create death panels, or all the rest. We have to have a set of values we're fighting for every single day, and not become fact-checkers, because I think I think that's a recipe for, for disaster.
5: I actually believe it. I sort of want to disagree with you, <gasps> awkwardly. So, but all right, try it, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> see. Ya. Is it like to the governor's point that everyone is the media now? Everyone now has the capacity to push back against false information within their social network, and so if you see that right? So people who you're friends with on Facebook or people that follow you on Twitter or whatever social media platform you use may see that. But if you who they know and trust puts out countervailing information, they may believe that. And so everyone has the capacity to do the job of helping push back at these things in their network. And so we have agency here. We don't have to like let Russian bots and Breitbart and Fox define the debate. We can do that ourselves.
4: And also, by the way, is an incentive for... It tells politicians to be as open and accessible as possible and to go and to, like, meet people where they are, right? Like, you know, if you hear that... If you guys leave here and hear that Governor Inslee, you know, started a terrorist group in the Middle East, you're like, well, no, he was on stage with the Pod Save America guys. He seems fine. (laughs) Um, But, like, I I mean, Obama always used to say that. He was like, I... You know, when I first started out, I had this crazy name, Barack Hussein Obama, but then I'd go meet every single person in Iowa and they would meet me and they'd be like, well, you're not the caricature that we see of you on Fox News. Right, you're, you're this person that I met somewhere. So it tells politicians to like, not hide, to give press conferences, to be accessible, to go to other parts of the state, to go to rural counties, to go to places where they don't usually get votes, and to show people who you really are. Because when they meet you in person, it's much different than the caricature that you are on social media or Fox. Yeah, so I
3: that's great. Think- that's right. Like, Barack Obama is a perfect example of this. There's a pretty big propaganda campaign to paint him out as a lot of things. But he won two elections with a majority, which is more than our current president got, isn't it? So, and I think that speaks to what Dan was saying. I don't disagree with Dan. We all have to push back. But at the same time, Barack Obama didn't spend every day saying, I'm not a Muslim. He didn't spend every day saying, I'm not a terrorist. He didn't every day saying, I'm not a socialist. It's like a he, third of the days. Yeah. Every other day. Every other day, right? Uh, like the sprinklers. But... Um, <laughs> So we can push back as citizens, but I think as a party, as a as people trying to win campaigns, we gotta argue for our values, we gotta show people who we are, not fight back every day against some specious claims.
6: So whatsoever. why so why in every speech that you guys ever wrote that Barack Obama gave while he was president in Seattle did you have a line trash talking me about basketball? Why I don't understand that. <laughs> that was, what I, was it what was that about? Governor, yeah, that was ad-libbed. That was ad-libbed. It that was from <laughs> ad- <was>, uh, <laughs> was, was the heart. Right, it was Inshallah, him, right?
4: and you then see something how com- about basketball. You, see how com- you know how competitive he is, right? Yeah, man.
1: <laughs> she really shouldn't have started ISIS, though. That was a big
4: mistake.
3: Honestly, I think I think Hillary
1: Clinton starting ISIS cost her Wisconsin. It cost her in the swing states. <laughs> it played well in Philly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, friend of the pod. Hi, guys. Uh, so I have a 16-part question. Uh, part 1A is... No, it's oh. one part. Um, so... A typical move of political punditry is referring to elections as job interviews. And uh, when elections come around, we hear from congressmen and senators, governors, occasionally brain surgeons. Uh, but we don't often hear from staffers, from people who shape policy behind the scenes. Do you guys think that um, speech writers, communications directors would make really good candidates? And will we see you or any of your coworkers run next year? <laughs>
3: Okay, I don't know why I have to keep saying this. Very focused on the podcast right now. Right now, I am very focused on being a media mogul. Uh, once I get that out of my system and build a massive conglomerate, uh, then I will be running for office. But, but I'm not one of these people. I'm not a Governor Inslee type who avoids the question. Uh, uh, I'm the kind of person who's, who shoots from the hip, you know, come what may. Uh, still nothing from him. He still look at him. Look at that. That's discipline. I respect it. I want you to know that we're not going to make you answer this question today, Governor. But I'm running a March Madness in my mind in 2020. I'm focused on 2018, but in my mind, I'm building, I'm building a grid, and I'm, I'm thinking about what seed you're going to be. And it's and mentally, great. That's the most sports talk he's ever And I'm her. just saying, right now, right now, it's, it's a good seed.
1: <laughs> All right. If you're trying to build the media empire, where can we get more merch? Working, oh, on we're we're working on, on that. it. Your, we're working on it. Don't
3: worry about that. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's just say that there's a website being built, and a store uh, at that website. <laughs> Hashtag.
4: Make,
1: Make your next move. Make your next move. A better way to code. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Hi.
10: Hi guys. I'm straight shooter and friend of all pods. Awesome. Favreau. Love it. 2024. So, <laughs>
3: I don't know about that order. I don't know about the order. I like
8: you, oh, no, well, oh. I like you
10: a lot.
3: So let's talk about that later. <laughs> Keep going. Ask her um, whatever question.
10: So uh, since I'm the second to last person in this line, I would like to ask a little bit of a softball question just to make me and everybody in this Seattle, Washington area feel better. Um, what was your favorite part about working for Obama? Because we like to reminisce on the better days here, and I think that Obama was the best days, in my personal opinion, so.
5: I mean,
1: for me, it'll always be like, Iowa, 2007, was the greatest experience of my professional life. I moved from D.C., uh, and I went out and was one of, like, 10 people on the ground and got to spend all this time on the road with him. And in a weird way, one of the best moments I had was one of the shittiest I had professionally. The, The Des Moines Register hold you hostage. You will learn this soon, sir. Um, (laughs) The amount of ass-kissing that goes on with these people is pathological. Bill Clinton was taking them to dinners and coffees. General Wesley Clark would call them at their desk and they'd be like, sir, I I can't talk to you right now. I've got to go. And they would hang up on these people. I didn't know this. My job was to win this endorsement. And we put everything we could into it, short of Slipping cash under the door, though I thought about it, and we lost a, um, you know, anyway. And you know, I I walked onto the uh, onto the bus and had to deliver this news, and he was just like, "It's fine. It's gonna be fine." Like, what? what, We all freaked out about. Like, the guy was so cool and calm and kind to his staff and good to the people around him in like the toughest moments, and like seeing that poise. I mean, I know it's silly. It's a newspaper. No one reads them anymore. They listen to podcasts. But you know it was, it, it, it was my entire world, and I thought I had failed uh, at the one task I had been sent to do. And he was like, yeah,
4: yeah. it's cool. I, uh, the, the, the first night that I worked for him, I was in the Senate office in 2005, and it was the first statement that I ever wrote for him. And um, I remember it was about the nomination of Condi Rice. And so I go home that night. He told me what he wanted in the statement, and I start walking out of the office, and he was like, hey, Favs, come back here. I'm like, he's like, I know this is your first night writing for me. This is the first thing you've ever written, and you're probably nervous. But so I also want you to know that I'm a writer too, and I know that sometimes the muse strikes, and sometimes it doesn't. And so go home, do your best, and if, that, and if you come up with something, great. And if not, come back here, we'll figure it out tomorrow. So I go home, I write, I come back, and he comes over to me, and he's got all these edits, and he's like, so I just have a few edits to this, and I want to make sure it's okay. That I make these edits, you're okay with them, and I'm like, you're fucking Barack Obama. Like, I don't care about your edits, um, but like, that's how he was. That's how he was to work for for eight years. It's like that. That man. So,
5: I think. That, I mean, that is exactly right. Is that we worked for him for, you know, onwards of ten years or knew him for ten years, and he is as good a guy as you think and hope he would be. He never, never in that time like he would get mad at us. Like, we would do things that would annoy him, but he would never disappointed us one single time the whole time we were there. Yeah. Good guy.
4: Oh, thank you,
16: guys.
5: Thank you. Last question.
16: OK, I'm really short. Um, OK, I'm, I love you guys. I'm really nervous. Um, and But I have a question for Governor Inslee. <laughs> <laughs>
6: I'm more nervous, nervous than you are, <laughs> believe me.
4: i tell you. Is it about transportation? Light rail? Yeah. No.
16: <laughs> 2020 or light <late> rail? <laughs> So I became a U.S. citizen last year, Um, (laughs) so I was not able to vote for you. Um, I am a teacher, and I'm also a sexual assault survivor, and and I'm here on behalf of my dear colleague, Leah Griffin, who worked tirelessly to get a bill that you signed today that passed unanimously. Is the Bill 1109. That um, addresses, among other things, the backlog of rape kits and officer training, sexual assault things. I'm really nervous. Um, So it passed unanimously, but it passed without funding. And I wanted to ask you, Governor, um, what can you do to ensure that this bill gets funded? We can.
6: First off, thanks for speaking up and speaking out. Today we signed about six bills that were meant to protect uh, sexual assault victims and end this scourge of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. There are 500 kids being trafficked in King County uh, as we speak. And so this truly is a scourge, and we had a bipartisan success in this suite uh, of bills. But we wore pins that said, speak out. And you're speaking out. I just want to thank you for speaking out, (laughs) doing this. I appreciate that. Now, as to what we can do, this is a suite of bills. We did things which extended uh, uh, no-contact orders for longer periods of time. We did a host of things to allow data sharing. You mentioned this bill. It's a good suite of bills. Um, What we can do is to get a budget that will solve the educational crisis for the McCleary decision without gutting the other services of the state government. Now, it will not surprise you that the Republican Party are more interested in gouging services for people with mental health issues, reducing protection for homelessness, not funding our Western State Hospital, not funding uh, people who do children protective services. And what their budget has done is to essentially take about $2 billion out of the, the system that provides basic services to us, frequently the least amongst us, and the most challenged, both mentally and, and, and economically, and use that money to try to satisfy the, their obligation to fund schools. That is totally unacceptable to us. You can't solve a kid's educational problem by making them homeless. It's hard enough to do homework when you don't have a home. So we have to stop them, we have to stop them from their, their uh, avoiding their constitutional duty by not fully financing education in a way that, frankly, is going to take some additional revenues. And what they've proposed is what they have proposed on how to fund schools is to do two things. One, take money out of services like this suite of information or this suite of uh, resources that would help sexual assault victims – And two, just take increased taxes for people who are in blue districts and give tax cuts to those in red districts. They have proposed increasing property taxes for people in King County by hundreds, sometimes over $1,000 for those on fixed income. So what I will do is continue what I'm trying to do is to forge a bipartisan budget that will take care of the least amongst us. And you want to talk about morality? I think it's a moral issue to take care of sexual assault victims. We're going to do everything we can to do that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.
4: Thank you, Governor Inslee, for joining Thank us you. tonight. Thank you. Great. Thank you, guys. We'll see you again soon.